Let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. We studied in our last lesson all of the uh, problems that uh, Nehemiah faced, and they tried to uh, instill fear in his heart and in the hearts of all the others. But in chapter 5, we find another problem that exists, a problem of selfishness. Selfishness on the part of many of the people that were pretty well off, and oppression on the part of the people that were poor. And you know, that rings a familiar bell, doesn't it? Even today. And so Nehemiah had to deal with that kind of a situation. During this time of rebuilding the walls, uh, some people had gotten were pretty well off to begin with and had gotten better off by using the poor and mortgaging their lands and taking advantage of them. And really they had almost become and were about to become bond servants of the of the wealthy. And so we have here in chapter 5 a fight with selfishness. A fight with selfishness. In verse 1 it says, And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren. A great cry. You know, the poor have a reason to cry when the rich and the wealthy take advantage of them. And we have it today as they had it all through the Old Testament. Uh, the Lord taught uh, the people in the Old Testament to be, be sure and pay those that labored in their fields and whatever. And they, in fact, God said, don't let the money remain with you overnight. He might need that food this very day. And they were to pay on a daily basis back then. I mean, if you worked in the field all day at the evening, remember Jesus taught that at the end of the day, well, certain ones received their wages. So certainly... In a week's time, when they need the money for food and everything, or two weeks or whatever the set time for payment, which should be on time and prompt. There was a great cry of the people and their wives against their brethren, the Jews. And it was their brethren now, the Jews. For there were that said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. And therefore, we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Now, some also there, there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses, that we might buy corn because of the dirt. There were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute. We had to borrow money to even pay the taxes, and that upon our lands and, and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. This great distress in the city. <clears throat> the enemy had intruded and interrupted the food supplies. You know, they had many enemies when they were trying to rebuild the walls. And the wealthier portion of the people began to take advantage of these poor brethren by enriching themselves to the terrible cost of the poor. The believers... Uh, or I should say the behavior of Nehemiah during this uh, painful crisis gives us a further revelation of the greatness and stability of his character because Nehemiah, in verse 6, will begin to see how he handled this situation, this unjust situation. There are many things that are unjust in society today. And uh, these are features, the way that he underhandled uh, uh, this situation, these are features that ought to characterize every one that is called of God in his service, these features, and I'll just name them that we'll deal with as we pick up with verse 7. There was uprightness. He dealt with them uprightly. There was courage. He dealt unselfishly, unselfishness, and with holy jealousy. Those four things. Uprightness, courage, unselfishness, and holy jealousy. And by the way, another one on down later, you'll find thoroughness. He completely resolved the situation. 
So on this chapter of selfishness, let's, we've already stated the cause and the purpose of Nehemiah here is to try to relieve the situation that existed. That he had to face up to the situation, first of all. And then he had to relieve uh, the circumstances. In verse 6, it says, And I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. I believe this is righteous anger. Righteous indignation. I was very angry when I heard their cry. Someone says, you should never get angry. I don't agree with that. Well, to be angry with Satan all the time. Kind of, you know, don't like that at all. What he's doing to folk. And uh, the Bible does say, be you angry and what? Sin not, doesn't it? Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus was angry. That he went into the temple and he took this cat of nine tails, this lash, this scourge, and he ran them out. They were exchanging they were making, uh, exchanging money and selling, buying and selling in the house of God, and he ran them out. He said, you, you're trying to make my father's house a house of merchandise. You've made it that. And it should be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. And by the way, when we attempt in the local church to do things that are uh, dishonoring to God and that are not according to uh, the things that God would have going on in the church, we can be robbers too, can't we? We rob of a lot of the things that should be there. It should be the spiritual blessings that people come for and not the other things. And we should not uh, uh, make it a house of merchandise either. You know, some churches are selling this and selling that and selling something else. We don't have anything to sell here. If you, need, you know, if I preach a sermon you happen to like, once in a while, well, if you want a tape of it, I'll give it to you. And uh, that's the way it is. Don't go around selling them to you. Now, a lot of places you can uh, tune into the... Uh, station that the preacher's on and he has this on the television you can buy this tape for five dollars or whatever well you know i think that the church can well afford to underwrite some things that we need to give to folks and i think we should do it not only in in uh, the congregation for the adults and for those in need but also for the young people when they get in their classes and they need something back there i don't think you ought to have to to take up money from each and every one of them. If they have some money, give it to the Lord, give it to the church, and the church will have enough money to take care of it. You know, if everyone gives their tithes and offerings to God, the preacher won't have to have anything going on in the church to raise money. I really believe that. I don't think you have to have anything. Someone says, let's have a, a yard sale, let's have a, you know, a big rummage sale out here on the parking lot, and this and that and the other. A lot of churches do that. And if they want to do it, that's their business. They're a local church. They have a right to do what they want to. Don't misunderstand. But I've always taught our church that if you're going to have a yard sale, you go have the yard sale and don't donate money to church, if that's the way you want to do it. But it's just my conviction. The Bible teaches that God will supply the needs of His people. And He said, uh, if we will... Uh, Give our tithes and offerings. He says, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. And if you'll bring your tithes, God will make sure there's enough. When we get in the book of Nehemiah, there's a question later on, and I may be getting a little ahead of my subject here, but uh, further on in Nehemiah, he asked the question, why is the house of God forsaken? And you know what he was talking about there? He was not talking about people not being there. He was talking about the people withholding their money so that the house of God could not be supported. That's what he was talking about. It had nothing to do with their attendance and their presence. 
It had to do with their giving. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever heard people use a general term, say, why is the house of God forsaken? And all that's in their mind is the, the pews or how many people's there. That's not the subject at all. Now, I believe we ought to have the pews full. But on the other hand, that's not the point that Nehemiah was making when he said that. We'll get into it later on in our lesson. It has to do strictly with giving. All right. So Nehemiah wanted to change the situation. Verse 6, And I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. And this shows his uprightness. You and I have a right to be upset and angry at things that are not right. And it doesn't mean that we uh, hold anger against an individual in the sense that we... Uh, would not be forgiving, but it means that we do not like the tactics that go on in some realms, and therefore uh, we have a holy indignation against that. Now then, the next thing, it took courage. Look at verse 7. Then I consulted with myself. By the way, this I like this part. He consulted with himself. He talked it over with himself. He had rulers there. He had consulted with the rulers and with other these leaders before. But now he says, you know, they're the ones that's giving him problems. So he had to consult with himself. He had to let it be between him and the Lord. Do you know there's certain things that you have to make it between you and God? Absolutely. Sometimes you get too many opinions in there. The first thing you know, you sacrifice your convictions for the sake of pleasing other folks. He consulted with himself and I rebuked the nobles. Here's the courage. I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. Now, that's courage. All of those that had helped him, that were working with him in building the walls, and now they had come to this place that they needed a little bit of correction. The Bible says, Reprove and rebuke and exhort, build up, with all long suffering and doctrine, teaching. And that's what the preacher's job is. He's not only to, to preach the Word, the instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke. And uh, some preachers leave this part off and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. That, that's important too, isn't it? It's not just rebuking, it's the way people are rebuked. And so, uh, Nehemiah says, Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said unto them, Ye, he just told them the truth, Ye exact usury, every one of his brethren. And I set a great assembly against them. He said, We're not going to put up with this. This courage was absolutely necessary in those who take a lead in God's work. Sometimes this courage has to come from within. That's why he consulted with himself. David at one time, when he was surrounded and had great problems, the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Do you ever encourage yourself? Just say, remind yourself that God has said, I am with you. Remind yourself that as thy day, so thy strength be. Remind yourself that he gave a promise that no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise in against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me. Remind yourself of some of God's promises. Then you'll have courage and faith. You know, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Strengthen. Have you ever heard folks say, I want, my, I want to have a stronger faith, and they neglect God's Word? The way you're going to get a stronger faith is get into God's Word and believe what He says, regardless of whether it fits or not. Just believe what God says. He, give, he has given you promises. The Bible says, Peter says, there are many exceeding great and precious promises. So, we need to understand that. Now, let's look. Not only, un, uh, not only courage, but unselfishness. Look in verse 8. And I said unto them, We, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. Love to others. And will ye even sell your brethren, or shall they be sold unto us? 
Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. He says, after our ability, we've redeemed our brethren, the Jews. Uh, Nehemiah had done all he could do. You know, if we give according to our ability, both of time and means, for the salvation of others, you know, all you have is time and means, basically. I mean, as far as giving and helping someone. Many times, I don't have enough time to go around for everybody. My wife will say, did you call so-and-so? And I said, no, I was going to do that. Because I have to get her to remind me of who I missed that I was going to call or I had some uh, thing to do with that individual or some sickness that was in the church or some person that was absent because of a reason or circumstance that they needed to uh, talk about or whatever. Whatever the, be the situation. But... Time, sometimes you just don't have enough time to do everything you want to do. And it's very important. And then means. What do you have? Your ability. We have, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. So you give your time and you give your uh, means or money for their salvation. Verse uh, 9. Here is holy jealousy. And I said, it is not good that you... Look, I want you to notice this. I said, it is not good that you do... What you're doing is not good. Look, ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? When God's people do not walk in fear, they bring reproach upon God's name. When we do not walk in the fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. You might say, I want to understand these things. I want to have wisdom. Well, you have to, first of all, have a holy Jealousy for the name of God and the things of God and the fear of God. And because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies. Verse 10, I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, leave off this usury. He begs them to do it. I pray you, leave off this usury. Verse 11, that is, usury was charging them too much interest on everything and causing them to to be bankrupt as they were and be in bondage as they were. Now then, in verse uh, 11, here is the thoroughness of his handling the situation. Sometimes we do not complete what we start to do, but Nehemiah did. He finished the wall, by the way, in so many days. I think it's 52. We'll read it in the next chapter or two. They finished the wall. They finished doing the work. And he had to finish this situation, too. Restore, I pray you, this is thoroughness, even this day, their lands. He says, I want you to restore their lands, their vineyards, their olives, and their houses. Also, the hundredth part of the money. You give them back some of the interest, and of the corn, the wine, and of the oil that you exact of them. Then said they, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. Well, if we had politicians like that, we'd be in business, wouldn't we? If we had leaders, governors, and, and uh, men in office that would set things right with other folks and be forthwith and outright truthful, See, Nehemiah, all he said, you're not doing the right thing. He says, you're making these people hurt and suffer. And you need to quit this and do the right thing and restore them their money and their houses and their lands and so on. And the all that you exact of him. Then they, then said they, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest. We'll do what you say. Then I called the priest and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. Even the priests were involved, as well as the rulers and uh, the uh, nobles that are mentioned in verse 7. When you get the priests involved in trying to get gain from the people, you really got a problem. The religious world, as well as the 
commercial and uh, political world, trying to make gain of the poor. You know, when a man works hard for a day's wages, he ought to get those wages. And they ought to be sufficient to, to buy the food that he needs and have the clothing, the shelter, and the, and the necessities of life that he's working for. I better not get off on what I'm thinking. <laughs> well, I will anyway. <laughs> And you know what it is? I cannot see paying the guy 20 and $30 million for two or three years to catch a little old pigskin out there. And I like to watch football. Don't misunderstand. But I think they're far overpaid. And I think the guys that, that uh, are their uh, coaches are overpaid. And I believe the guys that are throwing the basketball through the hoops are overpaid. And not that it doesn't take real talent to do what they're doing. And I like to see them, and I like to watch both. But I'll tell you, sometimes things are not as they ought to be. And a fellow that's working real hard in some industry even, in some very important work in our country, and doing a good job, he gets peanuts compared to those guys. Okay. I said it anyway, didn't I? All right. So down here in verse uh, 12, it says, Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. Also, look at verse 13. Also, I shook my lap and said, Go shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise, even thus be shaken out and emptied. As if he'd take, taken a, something in his lap and just shook it out and got rid of it. Uh, and all the congregation said, Amen. Well, it's good to have people to agree to the right thing. You know, certain things are right, and you just do it because it's the right thing to do. And that's true in the church, too. It's true uh, in God's work. And we need to get that under our skins pretty well to know that there is a right thing and a wrong thing. And we must do what is right. And all the congregation said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did according to this promise. They carried it out. In verse 14, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year even unto the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that is, twelve years, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. How do you like that? Nehemiah served at his own expense. He didn't take money from the, from the state, from the governor, to do the work. How many servants are there that will serve whether they're paid or not? Nehemiah was that kind of a guy. He was going to serve regardless. How many of us would serve God regardless of any financial gain whatsoever? That's what we ought to do. But the Lord has promised that He's not going to leave it there because He says, when you serve Him, He's, he's a good paymaster. Did you know God's the best paymaster in the world? Remember when the children of Israel were in bondage and they had served 400 years and they had made bricks and sometimes without the straw? later on, under cruel taskmasters. And God said, now, when you go up out of Egypt, you're going to collect your wages. And they spoil the Egyptians of gold and silver and everything. God said, you go borrow it from everyone. You take some of this gold with you. This is your pay. God told them to take it. I believe they deserved it. If God told them to take it, I know they deserved it. Because He doesn't tell you to do anything you don't. that's not uh, what He feels you have coming to you. And Jesus said Himself, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. I remember Tom recognized this. Out on the farm, we'd go gather those pecans under those old the native pecans over in Oklahoma. And we'd put them in a hundred pound gunny sack. And uh, we'd get them full 
and my, not full yet. And you shake those things down, you get 10 and 12 pounds more in there. Just keep on shaking them down till you got that thing so full that it was right to the top. And I mean packed. But anyway, Jesus said if we give, He's going to give to us, or men will give to us according to His promise, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Let's not always complain about what we do not have. Let's thank God for what we do have. He says, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. Look in verse 15. But the former former governors that had been before me were chargeable unto the people, and had taken of them bread and wine uh, beside forty shekels of silver, yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did did not I because of the fear of God. Why did he do this? Because he was serving God. See, that's why I don't do that kind of thing. I like Nehemiah's sincerity, don't you? I really do. I appreciate people that serve God, whatever. Then he says in verse 16, Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall. Neither bought, bought we any land. He said, I didn't come here to get rich or buy land. And all my servants were gathered thither unto the work. They were faithful to do the work. Moreover, there were at my table an hundred and fifty of the Jews and rulers beside those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. He daily fed these. Look in verse 18. Now that which was prepared for me daily, that is to feed these servants, was one ox and six choice sheep, also fowls were prepared for me, and once in ten days store of all sorts of wine, yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor. See that? I still didn't take it from the governor. Because of the bondage, the bondage was heavy upon this people. He knew it would create a greater heaviness if he did not share part of the responsibility. Did you know preachers and deacons are to, the Bible says that we're to be given to hospitality? Not takers of hospitality, but be given to hospitality? That's why sometimes preachers, you know, uh, you get you get a little more money than someone else, and they say, well, that preacher's doing too much money. But they don't realize that he has a way of having to give out a big part of that that he gets. That's his responsibility under God is to share it. And it takes more to do that in order to have anything left to eat on if you're going to give to others. And that should be a desire and a practice of every minister of God's Word. But you know, back in the Old Testament... The priests and the Levites, they were to give tithes of their tithes, of the tithes that came into them. And you see, a preacher wouldn't be good at, uh, good at asking you to give your tithes and offerings if he was not the kind of giver himself. And he's supposed to do that. Think, thou, think upon me, O my God, for good. Look at this 19th verse. Think upon me, O my, uh, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. He ends it with prayer in this chapter. In the next chapter, we're going to find some great problems that Nehemiah faces. But I want you to notice that every once in a while, Nehemiah would just continue to pray. And he said in the last chapter, in verse 9, well, let's read verse 8, where they conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Look in verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. They, they continued to pray. We made our prayer unto our God. And although Nehemiah is a book of prayer, by the way, and if you go through there, you'll find uh, time and time again that they stopped and they prayed. I shouldn't say they stopped and they prayed. They worked and they prayed all at the same time. Many of you have probably heard the story of D.L. Moody uh, was on a ship coming across the Atlantic and uh, 
there was a fire broke out on the vessel. And uh, this uh, co-worker of Moody said, oh, let's go back to the, after the ship and go to our compartment and, and have prayer. He says, no, we'll remain here and pass the buckets, the water buckets and pray all the time we're working. So you work and pray. And by the way, you can pray while you're working too, can't you? You can pray anywhere, anytime. And we should make it a habit to ask God to help us regardless of what we're doing. And uh, then God will bless us. We need to be much in prayer in our church today. And you know what is the greatest need? The greatest need is to pray for God's blessings as the Word is ministered and as the services go on. For God's presence and blessings in all that's said and done. Okay? Thank you for your patience and kind attention.